Hey everyone, it's Tia from the I Read Comic Books podcast, the best comic books podcast out there. Now, I know what you're thinking. Tia, you're pretty biased. There's like a lot of good comic books podcasts out there. But IRCB is a special one. We don't just talk about what happened this week on the latest issue of X-Men. I mean, okay, we do talk about that like a lot because Mike is on the show, but we also talk about other stuff. We talk about indies. We talk about Image, Valiant, DC. We talk about manga. Mike has assembled a team of truly fantastic human beings with a huge range of interests and ideas. And honestly, one of my favorite things about this show is getting all the recommendations of things I would probably never have picked up on my own and just hearing new perspectives from these people. They're great people. We also talk about broader topics in comics from how to store your collection, what makes a good horror comic, why it's important to recognize letterers and colorists and editors. We talk about the male gaze and big screen adaptations, going to conventions, and pretty much everything under the sun that has to do with comics. IRCB is a great show because we really care about comics and we really care about the comics community. We want to be a positive part of building the comics community, so we strive to contribute something to it with each episode. It feels like just about every week we fix comics, and every week our solution is basically be good to each other. Mike isn't exaggerating when he says on every episode that the IRCB crew are some fantastic human beings. After two years of being on the show, I now consider them some of my dearest friends. I hope that people who listen to this show feel like they're just hanging out with their friends talking comics. Help us make an even more awesome fourth year by backing us on Kickstarter, where we're raising funds to upgrade our equipment and level up our content. You can find the show at ircbpodcast.com. And don't forget to check out our Kickstarter. We have some pretty great rewards like stickers, t-shirts. You could even commission an episode. How cool is that? Thanks for listening. This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week are two amazing, fantastic people, Tia Vasiliu. Hello. And Nick White. Hey. So glad you're both here with me this week. Super excited that our Kickstarter is almost funded. It's the craziest thing in the entire world. If you haven't heard of the Kickstarter, head over to ircbpodcast.com slash ks2017. Go back that, get a t-shirt, get a sticker, craft a show. You can be on an episode of the show, but enough about that. I'm here to ask you the question, Nick and Tia, I'm here to ask you the question that I ask every single week. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with Tia. Well, I feel like I've just kind of been in a haze of comics for the last two weeks because last weekend was Comic-Con and I didn't take any days off after. So I've basically just been like comics up to my eyeballs for... A long time now forever right since the right. beginning of time basically plus, plus you're the coolest person ever and all you did was just hang out with comic book creators for a week right well i mean it's partly my job uh to like talk to them and stuff so you know it's not it's like i'm just cool they hang out with me they kind of have like they're like <laughs> obligated to give interviews i guess oh i see i, <laughs> I see uh, but yeah no it was a lot of fun and um hung out with some cool people including you oh yeah i was also there you were there <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, I did read some comics also. Oh, yeah. what did you read? Well, I was super excited that my 
a copy of Femme Magnifique came, which mm. I backed on Kickstarter. It, yeah. Yeah. Did you get one? I did too. I got one of those as well. Oh, it's so good. It's so beautiful. Um, Elsa Chartier did uh, the like little cool logo for it and this really nice hardcover anthology of I think 50, 50 little uh, comic stories about like inspiring women uh, throughout history and pop culture and politics and just the world. And uh, there were some really neat creator team ups in there and some really fantastic stories about, you know, women who've inspired me, women who um, this was my first time hearing about them. And it was just really uh, if, you know, this book is about women inspiring people and it definitely achieved its goal. And then my favorite part is that in the back, there's a couple of pages that are just like blank panels and you're supposed to make your own comic about someone who inspires you. Oh, I can't wait to do that. <laughs> so awesome. I don't know who I'm going to do it about. I have to think about it. But um, yeah, no, it was neat. Like there was a Misty Copeland story. There was an Artemisia Gentileschi story. I think my favorite was Peggy Guggenheim. Because mm-hmm. I like want to be Peggy Guggenheim, so <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I'll never be Peggy Guggenheim. She was, but you know what? That's that's a very good goal to have, though. Can I be Peggy Guggenheim without wishing that my dad would die on the Titanic so I would inherit all of his money? Yes, uh, yeah. Let's, I'm gonna say yes. <laughs> dad, the, if you're listening, time machine scenarios, I think you're gonna be okay. Uh, dad, don't go on any cruises. Okay. <laughs> don't don't sit on the deck of the ship with the with the uh, band and let it go under. You know, right? Don't right. do that. Yeah. So for those who who didn't get in on the Kickstarter, um, what are the alternative ways to get your hands on this book? You if, can get. You, know? you can buy it on Comixology. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know if they're doing any more print versions, or I, I feel this like maybe like they're going to release would want in print. It is yeah, pretty it, beautiful. Yeah, it, yeah, it's a fantastically. It's a beautiful hardcover. Um, I feel like they're going to release a soft cover, but I could be wrong about that. Hmm. Um, but Comicsology, you can definitely get it on there. Yes. Um, what else? I read Runaways number two. I know, Mike, you read that too. So um, if you want, we can hold off and talk about that later. No, go for it. I've got I've got a whole rant about another book that I want to go okay. into. So oh, cool. No. Yeah. Well, because so like when number one came out, we were all saying like, if you don't know who the Runaways are, you just this book is not for you. I feel like after reading number two, I kind of want to amend that. I think that the second issue did a little, a little bit of backstory because, um, you know, so they bring Gert back from dead and she's like, great, where is everybody? Because what they basically did was they rescued her from two years ago, like the moment before she died and brought her to the present and then like fixed her. And so to her, two years ago was like just now, but to everyone else, it's been two years and like everyone's gone their separate ways. And so they're kind of explaining to her what happened to everyone in the in the interim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought like, okay, cool. So like, if you don't know who any of these people are, you read the first episode and you're like, oh my God, this is... Is so exciting i don't know who you are but i'm with you and then in the second issue it's like oh that's what ha- like that's your deal okay yeah yeah uh that's the, it was uh, actually kind of relieving i i mean i was worried that they were going to keep down that path but getting that catch-up felt really nice about that book it, that's that's all i'll say about it but yeah it was good uh it, it was really well integrated i think it didn't feel like and now sit down children for exposition time it was <laughs> yeah. you know let's like, catch yeah. all of you up uh, uh. <laughs> so uh and this is rainbow roll and chris anka and matt wilson yeah that's and a bit of a relief 
for a book that's clearly, I think, trying to be accessible to, to a younger audience, I think that that's pretty important that they actually got around to bridging that gap. Yeah. I mean, I still would say, like, you definitely want to read the original Runaways because it's mm. awesome. Right. Uh, right. But, you know, I, I feel a little more confident recommending the new Runaways to new readers than I did after having only read the first issue. I think that, yeah, yeah it's going to be fine. Okay. What else? Afro number 13, which is the end of the sort of year one. And um, I moving forward, I think Cy Spurrier is co-writing with Kieran. So mm-hmm. um things will things are going to be different i don't know how they're going to be different but they definitely will be Hmm. and uh you know so she like manages to extricate herself from the terrible situation that she found herself in um she returns a bunch of artifacts to this university and i was really hoping they would confer like an honorary doctorate on her for that (laughs) it was like it was like right there like why didn't that happen Mm mm-hmm it didn't happen. Um, and so then she's like, I'm going on vacation. And then, of course, trouble finds her because she's Afra. And um, they apparently... They just changed the book to Honorary Dr. Afra. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's just a new miniseries. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah. Darth Vader and Rur, the Jedi and the Crystal, don't kiss, which was very disappointing. But <laughs> I did feel like, you know, I don't know. There were some, uh, I know people ship Afra and Darth Vader, and I don't think that's, like, appropriate in any way. <laughs> but yeah. um, I, the, in this issue, I was like, okay, I guess I could see where you would get that. Yeah, it, I'm, I'm really excited that Afra is so popular, they're going to continue writing, having her uh, series because we need more badass ladies and you know like Leia's technically a good guy but she's like a complicated good guy Uh, but it's nice having just a like bad bad badass chick in in Star Wars yeah yeah totally and then of course I read The Wicked and the Divine 32 things happened (gasps) I'm devastated oh my heart oh my god that that fucking issue right yeah that's all I'll say about it That, that fucking issue I know I know I don't even know what to say. <laughs> don't even know what to say. It's just, yeah. yeah. And it's not even the end of the arc yet. I, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Those are my I favorite like, moments is... when they don't even end it, like end the arc with it. They just like throw oh. it right in the middle and it's like deal with it. Oh my. It, oh, it's so, so frustratingly good. <laughs> yeah. It, and beautiful. Like, so um, the, be, the, the party rave issue from the, issue eight the Dionysus issue um and then they do that again like somewhere in the 20s where they have like all the cool color backgrounds and like um framing the um panels and the the color story of of the of like the gutter colors like it it is part of like a really integral part of the storytelling and what's going on and like who's winning and who's like who's doing what. And so they bring that back for a few pages in this issue. And I just, I just love them. They're just so good at making comics. And that's all I'll say. I'll move on. I agree. Yeah. That's, that's all right. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, and by that's the way, okay. and like if I guess I, I just assume everyone knows who I'm talking about. This is Karen Gill and Jamie McKelvey and Matt Wilson, who are all mm-hmm. genius. 
Mm-hmm. And and I should also throw out, oh God, Clay, so Clayton Cowles, who does the lettering. And the lettering in, in Wikdiv is like super important because of the, the gods and their powers and things like that. Right. So right. Um, Clayton Cowles also letters Redlands, which, oh, Redlands was out too, number three. It was like super messed up. If you... If you are a man and you want to be really uncomfortable, you should read Redlands. Oh, I'm so excited to read that later today. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert, the dog does not die. And I just feel like that's important to say for some people. (laughs) Good to know. However, the dog does some fucked up shit. Like the the most fucked up shit. Okay, no no spoilers. No spoilers. I haven't read it. And that's no a that's Jordi Belair and Vanessa Del Rey and Clayton Coles. Anyway, my Clayton Coles story really fast is that I was like, how many books does this guy letter? Because does he ever sleep? And so yeah. I Googled him and the Google results are for Jamie McKelvey. Like there's a picture what? of Jamie that comes up in his like little bio. No and, way. And, no. That, right? Isn't that awful? Google gone wrong. That's yeah. Like someone needs to call them and be like, "Excuse yeah. you, do you know who Clayton Cole's is? Cowl, Cowles is?" Cowles. One eight hundred. One eight hundred. Cole's. I thought it was Cowles. Oh no, I didn't think Clayton, we were going to have this we're debate. We're sorry. We're the worst people oh, in the world. Tia said it yeah, with we, such confidence. Got, I was like, she must know what page. she's doing. I well, I was confused. I thought you corrected yourself, Tia, because you you said Cowles and then you. Corrected I've never it to met Coles. him. <laughs> I've never met him, and so now I'm like, wait. And now we'll is, never get is to. Clayton even real? Like maybe Google knows something we don't. Oh God! Oh, yeah. I never considered that. Yeah, Clayton, if you're real, I'm sorry. Tell me how to say your name. You're great. I'm gonna pull up that tweet after when we go to the break. <laughs> okay. Anyways, Nick, Nick, what did you read this week? How have you been? All that jazz. Uh, been, been pretty good. Not, not that bad. Currently, uh, doing a little house sitting and, and looking after a cat. So sort of just tentatively looking over and hoping, uh, the cat doesn't wake up anytime soon and, uh, mess with my, uh, very, very, um, compact audio setup. But, uh, that being said, things are good. I've read some books. Um, mm-hmm. I read Rebels number six again. Yes, I know this issue is a little old. I fell behind. Um, this, is, of course, is uh, Brian Wood and Andrea Moody, um, who has drawn a fair share of Rebels, um, both both miniseries. Oh, sorry, I should correct. This is technically Rebels, These Free and Independent States, number six, I guess. Um, this is the second run. Um, so the main part of this um, run... Uh, the big arc that ran for the first five issues of this maxi series is wrapped, and so like what Brian Wood likes to do with a lot of his runs, he does a longer arc and then wraps it with two or three one shots that tell different stories and frequently bring in rotational artists. I think I've discussed this before. Um, this one is actually about George Washington um, and how he more or less had a significant uh, contribution to kicking off the French and Indian War by making some decisions that were not really well-founded in anything other than bravado, it would appear. Um, So it's an interesting, different side of him. And I really like issues like this because you have to sort of figure out... I mean, you don't have to. I enjoy going on Google um, because I hate myself and sort of reading up a bunch of things, falling down the rabbit hole and trying to figure out where um, Brian Wood was, you know, narratively embellishing and where, you know, the core kernels and facts sort of lie. Um, 
So that sort of stuff is fun. I think that's what I really like about this series. It's so tough to get books that are sort of educational and and informative that you know aren't like now sit down and here's five paragraphs of text and here are your keywords right. so really enjoying this um i still feel like it's one of those really great books that no one is really talking about at all it would have been nice to have tula lote covers again for this run but i realized brian wood probably already has her busy working on other books all the time so right uh, you get right. what you can get um, I read Ninjax Zero. This was the last issue written by Matt Kent um, and was sort of a passing of the torch. Uh, Matt Kent tells a story at the beginning um, along with the help of Francis Portella and then a rotational team of artists. I'll get into that in a second because I know normally rotational team of artists is a four-letter word, um, but in this book it's actually um, really well done. But the other part is that it's bookended. I shouldn't say bookended. It's uh, it, at the end. You have um, Christo Gage, the new writer, who is probably mm-hmm. best known recently for doing a lot of work on um, the Netflix series Daredevil, um, with Thomas Giarello, who's sort of Valiant's upstart, you know, super hot artist right now. You know, they had him kick off the the run on EXO, and and they had him close out Bloodshot uh, Reborn. So. Um, but it was a really, really cool issue. I know, I think Tia even talked about this recently. I think on, was that, was it Facebook Live? I can't remember where, because you were discussing the cover, I believe, the David Mack skulls and, and whatnot. Oh, yeah. Must have been on Comixologist Live. I think that's what it was, yeah. It was very cool, in any case. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm here to say that <laughs> beyond the cover, it's actually really cool, uh, too, um, in an idea that was attributed to um, Matt Kent's wife, Charlene Kent. Um, the issue begins with this big um, splash page of Ninjak launching an arrow, and then for the rest of that issue, you see the arrow slowly moving through the middle of all of the pages, just bisecting all of the pages. And on the top half, you have a largely silent story drawn by Portella, which is Ninjak just sort of going about his ways on a normal mission, showing all of his abilities and attributes and just overall deadliness in all ways, shapes, and forms. Uh, And then on the bottom, you sort of have this tale of Ninjak growing up and all of the different phases of his life, just sort of being abandoned and left alone as a kid and and, um, going to, I think there's like sort of the stage where he gets recruited by MI6, and for each Mm -hmm. era of his life, they bring in a different artist, some of which had worked on Matt Kent's Ninjak run, and each artist uh, tells that different era of his life. Um, And then at the- That's kind of cool, actually. Yeah, uh, and then at the end of the issue, everything comes back as the arrow actually becomes a core part of the plot towards the end. really neat there must have been a lot of editorial heavy lifting to make all of this happen but it was a really special way to end matt kent's run um i've never felt this way about a zero issue before i guess you can say that uh (laughs) who thought a zero issue could get me all emotional uh instead of throwing it in the trash but right right zero issue oh great here you go into the paper shredder um but it was really good. We also got to see, like I said, that story by Gage, where you get to see Ninja A, and as I think Tia was really curious about Ninja B or Ninjab, as as he was affectionately... And Ninja A. Uh, ninja yeah. Or Ninja. Uh, ninjab. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
you actually get to see him, and uh, you you see that the first ninja, Ninja A, was um, Japanese, unsurprisingly, and had an alliance with um, Britain during World War One, and he trains a British operative who is Ninja B. Um, and then Ninja B decides that Ninja A might not actually be uh, teaching him everything because that's how it works. And so he incorporates gadgets into the mix. And so we get to see a little bit of this march through history as these different ninjas show up. Um, so I'm really, really interested for that. I know they've shown some of the concept art for all of the other ninjas so far. And um, I'm really excited because it's a it's a real diverse mix of people. Um race cool. gender everything uh there it's it's very diversified and i'm 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 really happy about that um so beyond that what else i read batman 29 yes i'm really behind um yeah you are i know on, Nick. i know Ugh, i just i know it's not okay to say this but this arc is so long that's war of jokes and riddles <laughs> that's war of jokes and riddles for those who are 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 wondering um i loved the kite man issues i thought those were great they made me really, really sad, and I think that's why I loved them. <laughs> but right. um, this issue was interesting because it's Bruce Wayne bringing Joker and Riddler together to try to solve their differences, or as I wrote, because I think I'm funny, uh, why crack heads mm-hmm. when you can break breads? My issue's summary. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> that's the end. 2017 was the year I wrapped my uh, contributions to I Read Comic Books. You can all follow me on Twitter. I'm no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So basically, it's an hour long dinner with Andre that's in Gotham instead of New York City. Um, and it's interesting because the, the idea of the nine course meal it becomes sort of the skeleton or the structure for the whole issue as uh, Bruce Wayne, indefinitely not Batman, right, uh, sits these guys down with all of their respective allies on both sides and tries to iron something out. Um, Oddly a very humorous issue. Uh, I think Tom King just liked the idea of the challenge of having all of these, um, basically the entire rogues gallery in a room, and not have a large-scale amount of violence and murder happen. I think that was really the challenge he put himself up to um, with this issue. Uh, Finally, just one or two brief things to say about Bloodshot Salvation. Um, Bloodshot lives in Michigan now. Uh, Just FYI for everyone who who wanted to know, I guess. Um, uh, he's (laughs) He's moved to Michigan. I guess I'm not surprised. Jeff Lemire, of course, is a Canadian, so... Us and the Mitten State are his relatively uh, nearby neighbors, I suppose. Uh, And he's trying to settle down and raise a family and his daughter, Jessie. And what's interesting is that all of these issues are um, sort of a split story. Um, One is taking place now as he's trying to raise his family and realizing that his girlfriend, Magic's uh, uh, family, uh, are a real um, bunch of human garbage. Uh, and dealing with that, and then eight years in the future, we're following his daughter, Jessie, who's now like eight and a half or something like that, Uh, and she's on the run from this group called Omen. Um, She has Bloodshot's powers, which is a real interesting fact in its own right, because normally you don't release the nanites from your blood unless you die, Um, and uh, Jessie's mom does say at one point that Ray, that's Bloodshot's name, uh, Ray's gone. So is Bloodshot really dead? Probably not. Mm. Probably not. 
Um, if if so, uh, still could be really interesting. I think um, having Jesse as a protagonist would be, and having her have to learn how to use Bloodshot's powers as opposed to Bloodshot, who of course was basically you know a government experiment, and he got all the user manuals as I as I guess you could say. Um, mm-hmm. So that could be an interesting story too. So yeah, that's that's pretty much what I've read. What about you, Mike? Oh, you know. Um... Before I start, I want to say that Nick's house sitting endeavors mostly just end up end up with him sending me pictures of this cat. Yeah, um, that he's yeah. watching uh, yeah. called Weege, is Weege. I'm guessing that's his name. Weege, and it's just yep. he sends me Weege, and then there's a picture of a cat. <laughs> um, so that's that's a fun thing. I love when Nick house sits because I just I get love, all these random just get animal pictures. With pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Nick, when does that uh, end? By the way, I hope it's real soon. <laughs> oh no, I live here now. Uh anyway, so <laughs> I read uh I read a couple books. Um I had some friends here so I didn't read a lot, but yesterday I did try to tackle as many as I could. I read all of Dream Thief numbers 1 through 5 and Dream Thief Escape numbers 1 through 4. Um Dream Thief 1 through 5 and Dream Thief 1 and 2 are by Jai, I'm going to say Jai Nitz and Greg Smallwood. And the last two issues of Dream Thief Escape were by another artist whose name I didn't write down. Um, because because he's not as good as Greg Smallwood, uh, if I'm being completely honest. I thought that Smallwood's art Sounds was like fantastic. Um, I mean, seriously, <laughs> Smallwood's art was yeah. fantastic on this book. And this is this is one of his first, he said, digital-only books, I think, in one of the, an interview that I read. Because hmm. um, I was trying to figure out why he jumped off the book. And according to some people on the CBR forums, you know, the most trusted place on the internet, I guess. Other than uh, They think cool. it's because, yeah, it, they think it's because he moved on to do Moon Knight um, with Jeff Lemire. So, it's whatever. I mean, we got more Greg Smallwood and we got that fantastic run of Moon Knight. So, I'm, I can't complain too much. But overall, Dream Thief was pretty interesting. Um, I, I liked the idea up until probably the last few pages of the book. Um, I really wanted it to be self-contained and I wanted the second one to be like another self-contained story, but Hmm. instead these, the stories blood into each other. And from, I guess from Jai Nitz's perspective, he wants to do more and more of this book, but I'm kind of worried that it's a dead, it's dead. Like there's not much more to tell. Um, even though they've inserted some storylines that make it seem like there's more to be more to be said about the story and this whole dream thief thing which is you know this guy goes to sleep and he wakes up and he's committed a murder or gotten revenge for a ghost that's the basically the premise of the book um and i thought like i thought containing it in one mini series was going to be enough but i guess they want to do more and maybe there is more to the story and i'm not giving it a chance but um i feel like the issues that are released were good enough i guess we'll see I don't know, but ultimately, I would I would suggest this book because I think it's a really cool concept, and I like the way that um, the story was told. Specifically, I mean, as much as I didn't think that Dream Thief Escape was necessary, I did like the flashback stuff that they did in that series. Um, so go do yourself a favor, go pick up at least Dream Thief one through five. You get some Greg Smallwood art, and it's not superhero-y. It's very realistic, like real life kind of story stuff, um, which I think is. Really good. Like Greg Smallwood, Greg Smallwood's art is top notch. No matter what you're reading with him, um, so go pick that book up. Um, as I said, I read Runaways number two. Um, I fucking love the Runaways guys. It's, I, I don't. I didn't read all the tie-in stuff for all the various events, so I feel like I need to go back and like pick through those to get some little details. But um, I'm loving this book so far. Chris Anka's art is fucking top notch. So good. Um, and see, I also read The Wildstorm, uh, Michael Cray, number one. This is the 
sister series to the Wildstorm <gasps> that Warren Ellis is heading up. And uh, Nick is signed thigh? because yeah, I, no, Nick is signed Mike, because he doesn't is, want to read all these. <laughs> no, does this mean you're reading this, but you're not reading Wildstorm? No, I'm reading both. I didn't think you were reading Wildstorm. It's Warren Ellis. I'm a fucking sucker for. Him. I know, of course but you I'm never, we, you never, we never talk about this, Michael. We no, never, we've talked we about this, and this I've been pissed at you because you've been I, behind me. I'm up. To, I'm you're up like, to date now. I'm up to date. I love this book. All right, Nick and I are doing a mini-sode all about the fucking Wildstorm, apparently. That's what's <laughs> happening. Um, so, The Wildstorm, Michael Cray, is by Brian Hill, with art by Dexter Vines and N. Stephen Harris. Uh, the colors by Steve Buccello. Buch- I'm going to say that. And I'm going to butcher his name, Steve Buccellato. Get it? Um, so, oh, uh, one thing that I thought was really interesting about this book, I like this story for this one a lot better than I like the actual Wildstorm what? series, because it's fucking straightforward. <laughs> It make, uh, like they introduce so many elements in the wild storm it's kind of hard to follow i did have to do a, a twice read through to kind of make sure that i picked up on everything and i think that the, uh, michael cray has the advantage of being about one of the plot lines in the wild storm so it's, it can be very focused on one character which is beneficial mm-hmm. um so ultimately really like the idea that they're going with the story um michael cray is a fucking cool character to play with and so I'm really excited to see what Brian Hill with Warren Ellis are going to do on this series. But he's the, the one, one who's thing got that I... the seemingly incurable disease, right? The African American yes. male who's yeah. yeah okay. It's oh, it's so cool. Like they the setup in this issue is so good. Uh, I I really enjoyed just a handful of things. I don't want to spoil it because it kind of gives away the story. Um, but I but anyways, the other thing I wanted to mention about this book was that Dexter Vines is doing art on this, and I don't know if that means that he's doing inks. Or if he's doing pencils, but I'm really, I fucking love this guy's inking. Like, I love this guy's work, period. And if he's on the book, I know I can trust the art to be fucking top-notch. So I'm very excited about him being on this series. Uh, finally, I did read uh, Grass Kings number one because I happened to grab all of the issues that were out during that boom sale that happened, or I think is still going on on Comixology. Uh, this is Matt Kent and Tyler Jenkins. I don't know if I need to say much more about this book because I know Nick has talked about it a ton, and I'm only <laughs> reading it because I feel like I want to be able to talk to somebody about this beautiful watercolor thing, and I knew that Nick read it and... Sorry, the other way around. I feel like Nick wants someone to talk to, and I, yeah. I'll be that person. I'm going uh, so crazy over here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty much me. I've I've got I bought Persepolis this weekend, so I've got to do that and read that as well. I'm just saying that so that Kate knows that I have it. Um, okay, so let's move on. Comic books come out on October 18th, 2017. What are you guys excited for this week? Let's start with you, Nick. Uh, for me, it's definitely Sherlock, Frankenstein, and the Legion of Evil, number one. Uh, this is technically a spinoff of Black Hammer. Um, it's a miniseries written by Jeff Lemire, just as Black Hammer is, uh, and drawn by David Rubin, who some people might know um, because he's already technically drawn two issues of Black Hammer to date. Um, he drew the one, watch as I forget all the names, um, he drew the one that was very focused around, um, the space dude who, like, apparates and then, you know, just disappears. Captain Weird. He's, he's got the really, you, you want to talk about great lettering. Whoever does his yeah. lettering, it's so, it's, it's, it just exudes him, like, as just being weird and out of touch and, um... He drew that issue, and then I can't remember the other one he drew. So he's already drawn Black Hammer. Um, he also is perhaps best known recently for having drawn all of Ether, which Matt Kent did, which was also for Dark Horse. 
Um, so that's An another awesome series. Just yes, yes. Oh yeah, and there's a follow up to that coming up at some point. I can't remember when, but uh, for those curious, um, oh, I sure hope so. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this sort of follows Lucy Weber, who is the daughter of the titular Black Hammer. Um, and I think this is going to precede Black Hammer in a certain way, because for those who read... Nope, we can't talk about that, I guess. Yeah, let's just, just There are reasons the for which I believe this will precede the events <laughs> of Black Hammer, and I've been told to leave it at that. But it should be interesting. We have met this villain before, if you're reading Black Hammer, uh, very, very briefly. Um... And I, I think this is uh, going, has a lot of promise, and I really like that Dark Horse is also tending to really get into this whole miniseries runs over ongoings, and I think that's only helping things for them right now. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Tia, what about you? What are you excited for this week? I am excited for um, the Bitch Planet triple feature number five. Hell yeah. I've really been enjoying <laughs> these books. They, Me too. They're just uh, three kind of mini stories in a single issue that sort of fill out the world around the main Bitch Planet series and, uh, you know, contribute to the world building and just are, you know, continue the, the biting commentary on the patriarchy that surrounds us in the real world and barely has to nudge it to a place of, of ludicrousness to, to make it, you know, seem the future is here. Yeah. It's, (laughs) it's, it's like very depressing, but also you're just like, yeah, you know, uh, this is, uh, this is the world that we live in, but also Mm -hmm. like there's other people who, are seeing it for what it is and we're gonna like we're all gonna fucking speak up about it and we're gonna do something about it yeah yeah i especially like the last the last issue there was i feel this this series this like series in between the actual series is totally kicking a lot of ass like i really am enjoying it and each issue gets better is is better than the last i think one of the things i love about this and one of the ways that it kind of practices what it preaches in terms of like we're speaking up and fuck you guys you know kelly sue she could do what she wants at this point right like she has a huge platform and she uses it to pass the mic like she's Mm -hmm. she's giving other creators who you maybe never heard of before up-and-coming people or whatever like a chance to like get their get their work out there and so you're you get to kind of discover some people i mean also like i think in this one there's there's a mini that like matt fraction and elsa chartier do so it's like you know other people who you already know too but like um in the same way that the like the essays in the back have kind of been like and here's this other person who you should definitely listen what they have to say about this like Mm -hmm. i feel like that's an a, a benefit of doing this triple feature format yeah, I, t- I totally agree. I think that up until this issue, I and maybe issue two, most of the people I'd never read or seen anything from. So it's it's cool to just get a sampling of these new creators in a in a place where I don't have to like relearn an entire mythos in order to to appreciate their work. Instead, it's like I understand the bitch planet world, and here are people playing in that world, um, which I really enjoy. Yes. 
I saw the uh, solicit for that in um, the trade in previews uh, yesterday. Uh, Kate was showing mm-hmm. it to me, and I thought it was kind of interesting. I'm, I guess you guys would probably have a better opinion, but I noticed that they went ahead and renumbered it as a volume one, which is always kind of interesting when it's like, tr- instead of like putting it as what, number three, they went ahead and kind of took it as its own yeah, different it, it, thing, which is always, I'm always of a mixed mind on that sort of decision, I guess. It would be misleading to label it as volume three. It's not the right. main series at all. Yeah. Right, right. Um, well, for me this week, I'm super duper excited for my favorite X-Men book. I'm calling it my favorite X-Men book right oh, now because it's it's up there. It's, it is the best one. Consistently good work. That's, that's what this book is. <laughs> Generation X, number seven by Christina, Christina Strain, Eric Coda, and Felipe Ramos Sobrario. Holy shit, guys, this book is good. I it's it's everything that I want about X-Men. I know that I've pretty much called it out every time it's out. So I feel like I don't need to explain it, but it is the misfits of the X-Men doing the best X-Men stuff in the world. It's drama, it's super heroics, it's friendship, it's romance, it's it's everything that you want in an X-Men book. I don't know how they've avoided it in all the other books. Somehow all of the other X-Men books are fucking up. And Generation X actually gets it. I think Christina Strain, she just gets it. I love her to death. I will. I think I'm. I'm a big fan now. Anything else she does, I'm on board because she has, she has like found a very big place in my heart with this series. And it's only seven issues in, and I feel like that's strong. But holy cow, this book kicks so much butt. So if you want a good X Men book, I I really recommend jumping into this one like i know i said x-men gold i think that's a good jumping on point if you want like <laughs> Here we go. heroics i know, I know if you want action heroics it has been zero want... days since mike has declared his love for a new x-men book <laughs> oh, well, what seriously what gets the number there's... two award michael what's what's oh. what's in second place uh, um i think jean gray i think jean gray is, okay. is up there as well um i okay. she that book is really interesting because it's her hopping around kind of interacting with other people and other people in the marvel universe but uh donny cates in that book he he's really getting into her mind and they're taking a weird left turn with this book with that book but ultimately i think that it's it's doing a very good job just getting in this this young girl's mind and showing how hard it is to not only be like a, a female superhero but also a teenager and how like she has this legacy that she needs to lead up to which i know is marvel's whole thing right now and how she's dealing with that and how she keeps saying you know what i don't have to follow this path that everyone expects me to um and i, I really like that about the book i think he's doing a good job of trying to explain how this Jean gray is going to forge her own path and be her own person um, and he's kicking butt on that. But Generation X is still number one because it's a fantastic group book. She, Christina Strain gets the group dynamic done. Um, she does it so well. So that's that's all I'll say. I feel like you could have like a weekly a weekly show that's like the the the, the X Men book rankings. You know, I guess it would have to be every month. That would but, you be know, good it's like with the little oh. green no, up X-Men arrows. Books. You know, you could do it every week. Yeah, uh, yeah, Mike, yeah, Mike TRL basically, but it's just all of the. <laughs> All of the X Men books, and every week it would have to be a video show, so he could like dress yeah. as a different X Man every week. Oh yeah, it would be like the the poorest man's version of every character too. It's like oh, this week I'm Nightcrawler, and I just like put some like blue nail polish on or something. <laughs> Our show this week is gearing you up for Halloween. We are going to be talking about horror comics. 
What makes them scary? What What's the spooky thing that is inside your comic book? How do you define horror? What works in comics? What tropes don't work in comics? We're going to be covering it all somehow within approximately 30 minutes. So, to start, what works in horror comics? What is it about horror comics that just gives you chills? Um, Nick, Tia, whoever wants to start, I've got some thoughts, but I'll leave it to you to start. (laughs) Well, I mean, obviously suspense is a big one. I I th- suspect that Nick and I are going to disagree on whether or not gore and bloodshed is uh, effective. Mm. So I'll let Nick I'll, I'll let Nick talk about that, and then I'll disagree with him. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> sure. Right now that I know that someone's waiting in the wings, <laughs> uh, at least for me, I feel like a lot of. <sighs> I feel like it's something that has to be done right, and I think it's so rarely done correctly because blood, gore, entrails, viscera are sort of the very easy paint-by-numbers shorthand for um, startling people and scaring people, and the truth is that we are such a desensitized culture, here we go, um, that I think a lot of that stuff either has to be ramped up to a level that people have never seen before, which... Maybe that needs to happen. Maybe that doesn't. Uh, mm-hmm. AKA crossed. Um, or <laughs> I recently read all of the crossed, so we could talk about that. So Tia what? knows all about viscera. At Tia, this point. are you okay? Not, I know, right? <laughs> like I, I can't even bring myself three. to read that. It was yeah, a time. Mo- <laughs> it was a time. Uh. Tia was very crossed by the end of it. All right. Bye, everyone. That's my second exit from the show. All I'm going to (laughs) say is, like, if I ever meet David Lapham, I'm going to run away very fast. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I think that it's it's tough to really do that in a way that people haven't seen before. And then, of course, the tricky thing about comics is that you don't have that... um, People... Certain artists are much more talented at depicting and pacing motion and action in a way that it feels more fluid, but Mm -hmm. um, obviously not everybody is, and so sometimes that uh, violence or the action behind the violence can sometimes come across not as um, just devoid of that oomph that that it can have in a film. Um, like I said, it 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 can be done right, but I feel like for a lot of the books that scare me, or um, you know. Uh, set me off in one way or another. It's much more psychological and atmospheric, and, and we can get into that later. But I'm 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 curious to hear what what Tia has to say or what what examples she's got, because like for me, it's it's few and far between these days where that sort of thing uh, startles me. I mean, let's be clear, I'm not a tough guy. Like if you brought me into an operating room and was like, "This is someone's liver" or something like that, that alone <laughs> would be like, I don't I don't care if it's normal operating sterile. In, human anatomy that alone is enough to fucking set me off so (laughs) nobody send me any organs in the mail please nick's address is (laughs) i mean we're not a black metal band so i think we're probably safe (laughs) but yeah yeah, yeah. no i mean so i actually feel like you know in comics one of the one of the advantages it has in in the horror genre over film is scale like if you want to if you want to have like a full gore mm. guts bloodshed viscera everywhere 
scene in a film, you have to have special effects. You have to have like all the actors doing it. Like it's really expensive and, and large scale to make that happen. Right. Like, whereas in a, because if Other you, than like evil dead, well, <laughs> well, but like, you know, if yeah. you're trying to I, do I, it I in follow, a serious yeah. way, it's really yeah. easy to, to veer into B movie territory if mm-hmm. you don't have, oh, right, right. you know, all of That's the resources. Yeah. 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 Whereas yeah. in comics, like you just need a good ar- artistic team. Like I think that, that colorists are the real make or break when it comes to good horror, like good gory, violent horror uh, artwork. But you know, like yeah. I said, I recently read all of crust and, um, he is really coming from a place of experience. Yeah. <laughs> like the authority on this now. So, yeah. uh, you know, all you need is like the artist. So, okay. So I, I, I was talking about Lapham a minute ago. He did cross psychopath, which was the, for me, the most disturbing run of, of all the cross was cross psychopath. And, okay. um, it's a real badge of honor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, there were scenes where the panel borders were made up of like oh no the crossed mayhem like orgy cannibal fest and oh just that's just like a like a kind of formal horror form meaning like the form of the thing not formal like in a ball gown uh that you <laughs> can't like it's just a whole extra layer of of uh, of a thing that you can put infuse with 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 the gore and the violence that like you don't have in the film. Like I don't know. It just I think yeah. yeah. I, it's like a, more of an atmosphere, yeah, right? Yeah. Like it's adding to you the atmosphere of what the cross is. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> that's a and you don't that's terrifying. and you don't have <laughs> to get actors on board to like do the thing and you you can you know you can literally draw any depravity that is in your mind you don't need a cgi team or like a a prop team to actually make any of it for you sky's the limit in comics yeah i was gonna say so is the the argument then is still that this type of depiction in comics is scary in a way then like in in is it like from a like a meta perspective where you're like holy shit someone had to come up with this that's truly disturbing oh yeah that Um, one (laughs) that one okay okay yeah okay i mean and it is an on its face also disturbing you know what i mean right like the imagery is very disturbing and so i wouldn't call it scary but it's definitely unsettling and and horrifying in the sense that you're like oh god (laughs) <laughs> yeah which still i think to me i think that still falls under the umbrella of what horror in general does as a genre right it makes you feel unsettled it makes you feel kind of scared it makes you feel you know um get your adrenaline rushing it maybe like has you pay- turning pages really fast because you really need to get to the suspense you know all that stuff i think it still falls under the umbrella of that so yeah that's that's disturbing and horrific <laughs> i think it fits exactly in terms of suspenseful, though, we were we were talking a little during the break about like titles that are horror horror titles, but in a more subtle way, mm-hmm. where there isn't right. you know like cross cannibal raping sort of necrophilia. <laughs> 
That's in its own fucking genre. Basically, the checklist of depravity is being utilized. Um, I'm sure sure Avatar has that. It gets sent to all of their writers. (laughs) Please include one or two of each of these elements. Three beheadings, one lawnmower-based death. The best remains the Mercury Heat issues where Louisa, uh, the main character, and Mercury Heat, like, puts a filter on her brain, like... In her mic, like because you can put like yeah, it. like where uh, it she instead of seeing all the cross depravity, it gets censored with like a rainbow bunny sticker, and so it's yeah, like, oh my gosh, it's yeah, it's so funny. They literally just stick these rainbow bunny stickers over the like place where the like crossed penis is going into the ear of the corpse skull or whatever yeah. like it's really all of you fun. cross fans know what she's you know <laughs> yeah. we don't need yeah. to <laughs> so um, I, but i think i think you brought up you brought up an interesting point i think like even when you think of truly or, or books that are meant to be horror like say a witches or a harrow mm-hmm. county like those mm-hmm. are horror books but then you there are also suspenseful books that maybe aren't marketed as horror books but they still contain horror elements and can be as scary as some of those true like Mains or those like marketed horror books, right? I, is that what you're kind of getting at? I actually think what separates those is that the artwork is is so aesthetically beautiful, and okay, you know, and okay. so because if if you did crossed style art on those books, I think they that you would read them and be like, "Yep, that's horror." I think that what elevates books like Harrow County and Witches, where you know, like genre work gets uh maligned as not you know elevated in a lot of in a lot of instances but i think that in the in the case of the books like witches and harrow county the artwork is just on its own so beautiful and well done um Mm -hmm. that uh it gives it an a, a sort of i don't know there's a there is another reading that you can get can make when you look at those books that is that that crosses the boundary of of straight horror right and so, and but, and so, going back to what i said about color um for yeah tyler crook does his own like he just paints so he's doing his own color yes. right oh god oh god. <laughs> uh, <he's> so <laughs> you're so funny he's, nick oh, go, nick go shivering on, over there but, um, go, go, you go on youtube the they have, yeah they've got some of the, the speed runs of his his um um painting the covers of of harrow yeah. county oh it's so amazing. Ugh. But like, you know, with Jock and Matt Hollingsworth, like looking at what Matt Hollingsworth does, it, I don't know, like the two of them together with Jock's kind of like more painterly style, and then you add the textures and stuff that, that Hollingsworth does. Like it just, there's an aesthetic reading you can make of those books that is separate from the horror story and the horror like imagery. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And so with like, with non, I guess like non-genre books, like something like Southern Cross comes to mind. I think Tia, you brought this up yeah. in the break. Um, Southern Cross to me, I did not think was a horror book, yeah. but I, from what I've heard from those that read most of it or all of it, it turns into something of like a whodunit, but there's also like a supernatural like horror element yeah. to it and it's suspense. It's very Hitchcockian to me, too. Like, yeah, it doesn't feel like it's, it'd be a horror book, but yeah, and that's... Yeah, I think the the Hitchcockian feel—that's um, a great word, by the way—is um, <laughs> what is something that is 
is missing from from some books where it's straight horror versus this suspense, this like su- this feeling of dread throughout the whole book. That's really, um, I, yeah, it just makes you feel dread. It makes you feel yeah. claustrophobic. It and and it's it's one of those books where you don't see the monster. Like it's all in your head, and that's kind of what's so oh, scary God. about it. Oh God. <laughs> I can't do that. I cannot do stories like that. Oh my God. You know what's, you know why those are so scary? Because you can like in a book where you see the monster, you're like, their monsters over there. But when it's in your head, it's always with you. Oh yeah. Oh, that, that's a great way to describe it. This, okay. I won't even go into that. Mike's going to sleep with the lights on tonight. I, I sleep with the lights on every night. You act like this is new. Um, 3 no. a.m. in the morning. Wait. What if I'm the monster? <laughs> Kelly, wake up. All, Kelly, all the lights Kelly I need to tell you something. I turned Kelly over. And Kelly, she's I'm like the a monster. monster. <laughs> Kelly looks like me. I'm like, oh, no, I'm the monster. Oh, um, my God. <laughs> no, the, the, there's something that to be said, though, about that claustrophobia thing. I think that uh, reading Aliens Dead Orbit, oh, God, you see yeah. the monster. But holy shit, that book is, got, is a fucking page turner because... You don't know when the monster's gonna strike next, like, and I think that the alien books do that really, really well. Um, and I, I maybe I've from the handful of alien and predator books that I've read, I think that those books are in the sci-fi horror genre, which Nick, I, I think you mentioned. Um, you yeah. know, books like that exist, and you don't necessarily classically call them horror books, but they totally are. They're totally there to like freak you out in in some ways. Like the issue of uh, what was it? I think it was Alien. Or I can't remember the one that Mike Magnolia, uh, Salvation, Mike Magnolia Alien did. Salvation, Silva- yeah, Alien Salvation. That book was creepy as hell because the constant you have this constant set of like, this is just gonna be bad for everyone. Like it's going into the horror movie and going, I know they're all gonna die, and that's what every Alien book has been like <laughs> that I've read. And um, I think and that, it's terrifying. Yeah, well, it's so like art wise I think there's two ways that artists make make you feel that way one is mm-hmm. when they have like a, a really strong command of, of shadow and so you just you because like there's a way of fucking shadow up where it's just like a big black blob and that that right. that's not good <laughs> oh there's, I wonder what that yeah. is yeah but then there's yeah. a way mm-hmm. that like artists who have a, a stronger command of using light and shadow it's not just a black blob like you know something's there and and but you but it's not entirely like known to you and 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 so it's it gives you this sense of what Mike is talking about that that is so horrifying and the other way of doing that i think is more the the uh stoka way which is like almost a horror <laughs> vacui kind of thing where there's just so much going on in the art like everywhere that you just don't know where it's going to come from right right he also is really, really good at just sort of this constant, like, um, obfuscation of the alien itself. Like, I think it's at the end of issue one. Mike, you probably remember this, where he, the guy is running after that all-important suitcase or whatever. And you see, like, of course, because it's alien. Like, rule number one, if you don't want to have the alien kill you, fix your ventilation systems. Fix them. <laughs> so you don't have steam and smoke just all over the fucking place. Fix that Are shit, Are you victim-blaming? Okay? Yeah, <laughs> xenomorphs get off on that shit, okay? And um, there's that panel where he's going to for the suitcase, and you see arising out of the mist. You sort of see just this vague black outline underneath this white mist, and the tail creeping out. And you're just like, oh my god, this is this is perfect. And yeah, I mean, I I would say I think what's interesting about the Alien series is that 
I don't think all of it is technically I would I would classify as horror, um, but certainly I would say Dead Orbit is, and in the same way that like Alien versus Aliens, like let's be clear, Aliens is still scary as as shit, but like for me, Alien is still. Anyway, that's another. Th- th- there's a mini sode right there. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I maintain that aliens are just big cats. <laughs> big. Well, they angry certainly cats. don't give a shit about anyone. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Weege. Oh. Okay. Uh, Watch out, Nick. <laughs> oh no. He's he's asleep for now. <laughs> I'm going to fix the vents when this episode is done. I'm not taking my chances. You know, I want to bring up another uh, flavor of horror comics, mm. wh- which is where you expect, like, so I'll, I'll say the thing I have in mind right now is my friend Dahmer, where it's like you, you, okay. you almost feel like, and I think Alien has an element of this. You almost, you think you know what you're going to expect, and the book itself dances around it it doesn't ever show it or give it to you and so your preconceived notion of of the characters or the story or what the book is Mm -hmm. about is what it makes it more suspenseful and tense and horrifying than it is if you were just reading it and you didn't already know anything about anything yeah I, i i agree totally i think the perpetual strength of a lot of the alien books is that there is this expectation that you have a crew something bad happens everybody gets picked off one by one if there's a domestic animal on board that thing will live if there's a child that thing will live and then a solitary human female um will live as well and so yeah i agree there's like a, a you know, all jokes aside, like alien movies, just like a, just like horror movies on the whole, this is why I think, as you were saying, horror sort of gets diminished as a genre, is that there is this unspoken template or blueprint that exists. And mm-hmm. yeah, you can say a lot of other genres, even broad, mass mass appeal, popular genres, also have this. It's called The Hero's Journey. Everyone, come on, quit, you know, quit yeah. dicking around. Um, but horror, of course, gets taken to task for this, oh, everyone's going to get picked off one by one. And so, as Tia said, it's it's really fun because there's this whole sense of horror you can induce by fucking with people who come in with that or if you want to go another layer deeper you can fuck with the people like me who know that the blueprint exists and we're already expecting you to break the blueprint and now you're going to reinforce the blueprint to fuck with me well what else is great about <laughs> so that so play that back everyone and you can <laughs> the other thing that's great about that is like I think a disadvantage comics have um, that film doesn't is you can't control the visuals. Like when someone turns the page, they see all the beats in the next two pages in film. You can control that a little more, but if, if the most horrifying part of your story is the thing that the reader has in their mind and you never even show it on the page, you can sidestep that problem. Yeah, I think right. I think to your point about my friend Dahmer, the whole book is unsettling because you know who this guy is. But he, and so, he but you never see him do anything terrible. Exactly. Uh, that's yeah, exactly. You never see, and that's the worst part about it. I think, uh, and, and I say worst in meaning waiting. the best. Waiting is like the it's the part. waiting. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. just it's <laughs> dread. It's constant. Like when is it going to be the bad thing that I know happened? Like. The, and oh, that that whole book was like a non. Like, I could not stop reading it because I was dog. like, get to the part. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah, you're yeah. just like, I know the serial killer like 
I know how that how it escalates. It starts with a with a dog, but then like spoiler alert, he lets the dog go, and so but but bringing your idea of what a serial killer is is to this to that scene just amplifies the suspense so much. Totally, yeah. Everyone should go read that book because it is. Oh, fantastic. and the trailer just dropped. I think the movie's coming out soon. This this episode not sponsored by my friend Dahmer. It's just look. Um, <laughs> it's really good. It's just, <laughs> it is a very. I good I haven't seen book. the movie, but I've heard good things. But the book is really good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, I just I also I hate the the critique that it glorifies serial killers because that that is a legit criticism of serial killer culture which like there is this whole obsession that people have with serial killers that it's like why yeah. are you treating these like depraved white men like rock stars like rock stars yeah like it's yeah. they yeah. you know and and people have been lumping my friend Dahmer in with this critique and i think that's a little unfair if you read the book it's very critical of yeah of that and uh so i just will throw that out there because it's real it's about real people yeah, I think the thing that I, I don't mean to like keep going on this my friend Dahmer thing, but I think the one thing that really like sm- like totally smashes that critique is that the whole book is is about the fact that people didn't realize it. People, the, this, there were warning no one signs, knew. and people didn't there, there do were, anything. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and and that's the like creepiest part about it. It's that whole anybody could be a serial killer kind of mentality, but it's like that. You gotta just watch for it. I mean, you, you, these things are are very obvious, but like if you take if you take someone and you just ignore them because you think they're weird, like it's 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 bizarre. I don't know. I don't know how to properly explain it, but that's the thing. Like it, the constant unsettling fear is like this guy would continue to go to school. He would continue to do all these things while he was being this depraved individual. The scariest um, part of that book is the end when um, Backdorf gets the call that one of his former high school classmates was the serial killer and Dahmer was not his first guess. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Go read this book, everyone. We didn't spoil anything. Seriously. I it's mean, such a good you read. You know what happens. Any- <laughs> anyways. Yeah. Anyways. Um, I don't know. Are there any other horror books that we haven't... Oh, we haven't talked about um, like Sabrina or Afterlife with Archie, which I feel like, yeah. you know, the Archie universe has a certain sort of innocence to it and i think yeah. that's that that innocence is part of what makes afterlife with archie and sabrina so extra messed up <laughs> yeah yeah it's got it's almost got that sort of jock prep um you know loser like that traditional 1980s horror movie like high school dichotomy sort of set up already in place so you've got all of those yeah. roles being yeah. fulfilled and and whatnot. So you can definitely just get to work because <laughs> that part of the job has already been done for you. Um, yeah, I think, and I think Afterlife with Archie sets itself up the same way that Night of the Living Dead is set up, in that yeah. there's just this creeping thing happening right like these zombies aren't they're not fast 28 days later zombies or world war z zombies <laughs> like they're they almost they're... got through the whole episode without bringing up any zombie horror ah, i mm. know i'm i'm sorry it's okay i'm sorry but i mean afterlife with archie yeah, it, it is zombies, a zombie story yeah. but it is 
it's not about the zombies, which I always I find really interesting. It's it's like The Walking Dead, but not going to fucking last for ten thousand years and be just the same shit every it, arc. It but, might be at the rate um, these issues come out, but I mean, sure, <laughs> yeah, I go mean, ahead. yeah. But it, it's ultimately it's just it's about these people surviving with the constant cloud of darkness that any of them could get turned um, by you know after one mistake. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what I think makes that book work really well. On top of all the just terrible, fucked up shit that they throw in there for the hell of it, um, like th- there's some really messed up stuff in there. Yeah. We'll say. But with um, Sabrina, I almost want to, I almost want to classify Sabrina in that, um, in that group I was talking about earlier, where the art is so beautiful that you could almost talk about that separately. I think Robert. Oh, Hack, totally. Um, Robert. Hack, yeah, yeah. Does the art for that and. You know, it's it's painterly. It has these really interesting compositions that, uh, just on their face, are are really worthwhile to to dig into. Yeah. That's like he studied. It seems like he studied old horror posters yeah, and yeah. promos, yeah. and then yeah. made a comic book using that motif. But you know, that's really smart because those. That is a visual shorthand. Like yeah. we have certain strong associations with that aesthetic and with with those kind of images. And so, you know, you have to be so economical. You have twenty or thirty pages to tell a story in a comic. And so, you know, using those kind of visual references, or it's just it's a very smart economical way to infuse the story with atmosphere, with with uh, layers of meaning, and and give context when you you know you can only cram so much dialogue and action into a panel. Right, right, and yeah, the 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 pace at which Sabrina moves is very slow, but it's it doesn't follow that it doesn't have that sense of dread all the time so much as it's just like a story about the like light and dark sides of magic yeah. and that that in itself offers some some horror elements but it can it also can can be nice like i mean <laughs> well, i mean it's, I don't it's know. also a coming of age story on top of being like a you know going to high school and dealing with that on top of oh my god else. is it so an extended right. metaphor for her getting her period because like that's that's like probably isn't that is. every coming of yeah. age story for like, women yeah <laughs> for women yeah <laughs> um i mean going back to what we were saying about how like you know the the real horror is within you. I mean, hmm. if you have an, a, a a horror book with too much action, and you like, then you never give the reader a chance to settle into that dread. And so you do have to budget in in your story beats those those kind of quiet moments or those downbeats so that the reader can really kind of like ruminate Get over it. Into yeah, a false yeah. sense of yeah. <laughs> right, I I totally agree with that. Um. I think what's great about Sabrina or something like Archie versus Predator, and this is something that I think when we talk about strengths that you only really see in comics, is that we've talked about how horror is sort of niche in a way, uh, for better or for worse, but I think comics obviously are, are also niche when you talk about mass media and whatnot, and I think what's great is that comics are able to have these really weird, like Archie versus Predator 
will never be a movie. I mean, God, I hope I eat my words on that, <laughs> that because be awesome. if, that's a that's a win-win if I'm wrong, okay? But Archie versus Predator will never be a movie, but because you have a lot of these comic book publishers, a lot, not all, <laughs> that are okay with sharing these characters, you get these crazy scenarios where people that are normal, like, there's never an action of violence in any of their issues all of a sudden are being hunted down and dismembered by a <laughs> by a space uh, you know a space alien attempting to have a you know rite of passage on earth killing people <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you're not no one's going to make that movie okay so i think you know it's what? really cool that you you bring up a good point no i think this is really interesting where you're going with this like there's horror does lend itself really well to just like a tiny little kernel of like a story like archie versus predator where it's never going to be expanded anywhere else and it's never going to be expanded into anything but that one shot i'm also thinking of like creepy comics and like those kinds of anthologies where sometimes like eerie eerie yeah like sometimes just the best horror is told in just the tiniest little self-contained kernel and then you just have to live with this idea forever it doesn't yeah see Tia, we, like, we were at New York City Comic Con last year, and uh, Tia picked up this book, The Belfry. Oh, yeah, by, Gabriel um, Hardman. Hardman. Gabriel Hardman, yeah. And I, I went and talked to him at New York City Comic Con this year about how I really appreciated that book. And I, I'm not, a, like, a huge horror fan. I, I said this before, but, like, picking up that book and just getting the standalone, like, these people crashed and there's vampires and blah, 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 like, all this shit. It was mm-hmm. so, like, like it wasn't even fast paced so much as it was just a standalone, really well done, really beautifully illustrated book um, that just creeped you out. And the ending was unsettling. Like it wasn't a happy no, ending. It was unresolved. It felt so right. And that's how I think, in my opinion, I think that's what the best horror stories do. They mm-hmm. don't resolve their plots into nice little like contained bundles. Instead, it you're left with the sense of dread and unsettling like that this could continue it shouldn't continue but it could and you know that after this story is done outside of the pages and the you know the shared human consciousness in space and you know the multiverse this story Shit. lives on somewhere and that's the creepiest part about it and the belfry fucking nails it like gabriel hardman high five to him for kicking ass on that book yeah it's um, good and i appreciate like t i gotta thank you for pointing that out to me because i picked it up digital then i picked up the physical so that i could like meet the guy and be like i love this so much <laughs> um and he was super nice about it too like it was it was a great co- like five minute conversation i had with him yeah he's um, a cool dude and i think he's doing yeah. more oh he is i think he said he's doing not of the belfry but more standalone oh horror good he, good he good. likes yeah. that genre no i I, I agree with you. I think that having an unresolved ending is a, is a big part of, of what makes horror what it, what it is. And uh, a lot of the anthologies with like the smaller little series or one shots, like they're just, it's a really, really good medium for telling horror stories. I, and I think the disadvantage in comics with that is that as we talked about how like you know a a big horror movie if it if it does well then they're like all right we got to put another million dollars into this thing we got to do it with comics the team is so small that they could easily keep it going um but so i think that there is a respect to be held to say that if a creator does something and it sells really well and it's a really good unresolved plot if they don't continue it it's like credit to you to keep me scared um because otherwise <laughs> if you would have kept going i would have just been like all right let's see how the vampires get by this time you know well, I mean, I think, yeah, like, not to name names, Walking Dead, but Walking Dead. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
witches, I think, is going to be interesting in the second series because it's shifting gears to, I think, another like family altogether in another place. Right. So it's like, that's, but that's more of like an anthology thing under a theme. Right. Totally. Versus a continuation of the same characters, which can be repetitive um, in some, in some, in some cases. I don't want to say all cases. I will just say some cases. Before we move on too far, I wanted to loop back around to what we were saying about Sabrina and being like a coming of age story and stuff like that. And like, I don't know. Um, Horror is such a great genre for like critique or analysis of just like culture and people and society and, and the human and, subconscious. Yeah, no, but um, a, a lot of elements of horror were banned under the comics code. Right. I think that that gave it a, a sort of subversive feel that I wonder if it would have, if it didn't fall under the the comics code what was banned under the comics code for so long like you could critique the human condition in these ways that that like grindhouse i think is a good example you know where it just sort of it it pushes reality to an extreme place right Mm -hmm. right sorry i don't know no no that's fine so i'm like trying to find thoughts on that but i think you just summed it up (laughs) very well but that makes it a really powerful genre if it was so worrisome that they had to explicitly ban it. Right, right. It gives it gave it more power, yeah. I think, and more meaning to say like, oh, if you could get your hands on this horror comic, then yeah. that means, if you know. you knew, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I guess, uh, Nick, I know that we, I feel like we've just been constantly cutting you off. Did you have any final thoughts? Because I think we can wrap <laughs> it up about here. Uh, oh, unless no. you wanted to, um, to go on a big, long tangent. That's fine. Gosh, uh, I don't know. I, I would say... Um, I, I guess uh, does like are there any like recommendations that people have maybe like lesser known books or books that um, maybe aren't seen as conventionally being horror but they have horror elements because I think that's really what you guys were getting at is that um, horror or good horror um, is really a miniseries or a one shot or an anthology and that the only real way that you find horror in a long ongoing book is if horror is merely just a a bit player or a you know contributing um genre rather than the than the focal point um for like so hero county would be a great example of that there's horror in that but i mean that book is so many other so many other things um in terms of coming of age in terms of like being like a deep south narrative uh just folklore um so yeah, I mean, I, I guess you know there are a couple books that I would I would recommend that maybe uh, either people who read the conventional horror and maybe want to branch out, or the people that are leery about the idea of reading horror but they're more comfortable with other genres and maybe they want, um, for lack of better terms, <laughs> what I call uh, exposure therapy. So, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> uh, so like for me, Animal Man would be a really really good. Uh, example of you know something that's like a family drama slash super heroics slash c list out of the you know out of the you know the refuse pile uh, of obscurity <laughs> yeah. DC character um, meets horror I think that's a great one travel foreman I could I could have a whole podcast just talking about his art I love 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 travel foreman um, another one not unlike um, my friend Dahmer for me that we've talked about before is the Green River uh, Serial Killer, which uh, is oh, such yeah. a great book. 
Jeff Jensen and Jonathan Case, I think, uh, for that. And oh yeah, that's a uh, fantastic book. Oh my, you got me. You convinced me to read that book, and I could not put it down. It was very good. Yeah. So, um, Swamp Thing. Outside of oh yeah, yeah, Swamp Thing. I was gonna say like the there's. I mean, I think Belf- the Belfry is a fantastic example. Like, I mean, we mentioned it already. My friend Dahmer is solid. Um, those are all the horror books that Clean I read, room so I don't know why I decided. One. Clean Room, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, If a current one, if you want, if you're like, I want something that's like ongoing. Um, Redlands, which sure. we talked about earlier, it's like super horrifying because you've got everything. You got witches, you've got murderers, you've got deranged little Chihuahua dogs, you've got. Uh, demons <laughs> you've got racist cops you've got everything <laughs> that is, that's i mean that's pretty much everything i suppose uh, yeah i think what's really interesting is just a minor side note is how um like the big two like how the big two attempts to tackle more niche genres like horror with like very mixed results you know because oh, occasionally yeah. they feel like they need to do it and it's it's so all over the board. Like, I mean, Mike, I know you weren't the most enthralled with what was that man thing? Oh God, oh, man yeah, that thing. book was far. That par- that book was very far from a horror book. Though R.L. Stein did write some like little miniature backups. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, I don't know if you found Goosebumps to be creepy. On, on, <laughs> like maybe that's for you, but sure. I ultimately it was kind of like all right we're just playing with tropes cool 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 cool, yeah. cool. tropes cool cool but cool, like cool. Oh, that's very sexist cool 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 cool, cool, cool. racist oh, a little bit sexist yeah cool cool cool, cool. That, that's the whole thing over at um. dc though they had um gotham by midnight which was ray fox and i think ben temple smith oh, yeah. and that one was really good uh, and really horrifying yeah, first first temple smith and then uh Ferreira, um, one for yeah yeah Oh Which, yeah, that was a fun. It was book. scary. I mean, especially if you're really into like religious horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot Wormwood. of the specter in that book. If you're if you're a specter fan, <laughs> yeah. a lot yeah. of specter yeah. going on. Yeah. Here. Speaking of um, Ray Fox, if someone can explain Ragman to me, I would really appreciate it. I is that a thing that's happening in yes. the world? I think that I believe so. Okay, okay. I think he's isn't he a super obscure like C list Batman villain? I'm pretty sure. He's also on. He's been on DC or the Arrow TV show for a little while. Oh, really? Yeah. I gotta hand it to that show. It's not afraid to really dig deep in terms of weird, weird characters. Hey, Arrow and Arrow and Flash, they go deep on comics. Like they're like, yeah. this is just a comic book turned into a TV show. We got to do a little bit of CW drama. Otherwise, it's a comic book show. Let's just say though, That's... let's be real. Like most comics would be uh, improved by adding a little CW drama. I mean, the X Men is basically a CW show That's in comic true. book form. Like, come on. But uh, anyway, okay. Anyway, doesn't back to, want back to hear subject. Gavin DeGraw, you know, while Batman's on screen or something like that. You know? <laughs> yeah. God. So I guess we we've got a big list. We're trying to write them down in the notes as we were speaking. I think this is really solid. Horror comics are definitely something I didn't ever think that I would be into, and yet I'm very interested in a lot of these, and I have read a lot of these. So, um, I you know, go give yourself. You know, a fun little Halloween treat. I guess that's a thing. We're celebrating this like fucking Christmas this year. So um, get yourself a Halloween present. Read a horror comic book. Eat some Reese's spooky eyes. It's just mostly peanut butter with a thin layer of chocolate. And um, yeah, let's wrap this show up. I'm calling it. We're wrapping it right now. Uh, Where can we find you guys on the internet? T, let's start with you. You can find me on Twitter at Portrait of Madame X. Uh, I am Death Star Plans on Twitter. 
You can find me on Twitter at, at Mike Rappin. You can follow the show at IRCB Podcast. You know, like I say every week, we retweet stuff, and I post a poll almost every Friday. This week was who is the most unreliable, and a lot of people were upset that I said Blue Beetle. So, uh, <laughs> so you should definitely you know, tweet. Poll, your, it was the weirdest result. poll. I like, had to come up with something in the middle of Central Park when I was walking around, and I was yeah. like, I you don't didn't know. consult any of us. I just threw yeah, it out. Yeah. Anyway, Mike, is this Ted Cord or Jaime you know what? Reyes? It's you decide. Like... That's the poll. It, no, no one's no, voting you, for him. Your it's poll, fine. you decide. It's, I don't know any you're... of the Blue Beetles. That's the thing. Oh, I just needed Jesus. a DC character. Okay, the, the point of all of this is follow IRC podcast on Twitter oh. so you could tell Mike when he's wrong about the choices yeah. that he puts for the polls. It's really fun. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, beyond that, uh, once you're done telling Mike which Blue Beetle you prefer, we're going to make him read some Blue Beetle, trust me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> with mixed results. Uh, you ought to go check out our Goodreads group. Just go ahead and Google Goodreads IRCB. That's us. We're at the top of that Google search. We've we've mastered the algorithm. We've cracked the code, kids. Um, That's great. We have weekly threads in terms of you can talk about what you're reading, you can talk about what you're interested, if you have comments on on, um, popular comic book derived shows or movies, there are places to discuss that. There are places to talk about um, our, uh, our monthly book. For those uninformed, we do currently have two book picks. Uh, There's the one that turns into our Book of the Month episode, and then there's the one that you guys vote on, and of course we have a place to discuss both of those. So there's a place pretty much to talk about everything. Uh, Everyone there is very polite, well-behaved, and it's it's just generally a great forum uh, for those who just want to talk about our show and just comics in general. Um, and we also have, uh, right now for the month of October, Matt Horak, who is the current yes. artist on The Punisher, is doing a Q&A, and he's been answering everybody's questions. He is a super stellar person. We love him, and we're so happy that he's he's working with us on that. Check that out. He's, he's fielding everybody's questions, great answers, a lot of information being thrown around. Um, really, uh, just really well thought out stuff from that guy. It's, it's really awesome. Beyond that, we also have our website, ircbpodcast.com. Go check it out. Uh, there we post uh, our uh, weekly poll list talking about what we're excited for. And also, it's another place to check out our episodes if that's how you choose to do it. Obviously, we're on pretty much every podcatcher service as well. So that's a thing, too. There are choices, choices everywhere. Please rate the show, subscribe so you never miss an episode, tell your friends to check it out so that you guys can discuss how wrong we are, and then you can tweet us or tell us in the Goodreads group. (laughs) Uh, But uh, in all seriousness, reach out. We love talking to listeners. You can email the show at ircb at destroythesibe.org. We love talking to you. We're very needy. Please uh, tell us things. Yeah. Um, Infinity Shred does all the music for our show. They are the best, best band in the universe and the nicest guys in the world. So go support them. Listen to all of their music. It's on Bandcamp. It's on wherever you stream music on the internet. Um, Xander is a wizard. He's also the coolest guy. He's just a cool guy, you know, kind of a cool dude. Also, he edits the show. And I just want to say thank you to everyone. Thank you to all of our Kickstarter backers. This is this is kicking ass. I cannot believe that we are almost fully funded. If you haven't backed it yet, go to ircbpodcast.com slash KS2017 and go back. Get yourself a sticker, a t-shirt, just like I said at the beginning of the show. But until next week, thank you all for listening, and we will check you next time. <laughs>